0: Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: There's a book that I read when I was very young that I still think about. It was a thin, hardcover book about a little girl going to sleep. It featured lushly drawn illustrations of the girl's bedroom, and there was a night table next to her bed. It had a glass of water on it, a clock, and a book. I also remember an illustration of an open window filled with a giant moon. I remember being so taken with this book that I set up my own night table to mimic the girls' night table in the story, complete with the very same water glass. I wore my hair the way she did. I read and reread this book night after night for months on end. I don't think I could have been more than six or seven. What I don't remember is the name of the book or the author who wrote it. But the images of this book have been vividly lodged in my memory for nearly 40 years now, still a part of my consciousness, though the part that might enable it to be fully brought back to life, namely the name, has been tucked out of reach. I call this a memory that I can't remember. Memory is a moniker for a unique set of cognitive abilities that we use to reconstruct past experiences, usually for purposes in the present. I think that our ability to conjure up long gone episodes of our lives is both comforting and baffling. Since we remember experiences that are not currently happening, memories seem to be rather different from perception. But as we remember events that really happened, memory is different It's pure imagination. Memory seems to be a source of knowledge, or perhaps retained knowledge. And remembering is often combined with emotion. It is connected in enigmatic ways with dreaming. Some memories are shaped by language, others by imagery. According to Daniel Wegner in his marvelous book, The Illusion of Conscious Will, the essence of personal identity is memory. For example, if you recall or recognize an experience that occurred to you at a prior time, there is a thread of personal identity linking now and then. The experience contains not only the events that you remember, but also you, the rememberer. Wegner contends that our identities can be understood as a chain of such memory links. And If there is a break in this chain of personal identity, then the current self might not be the same as the past self. So I naturally can't help but think that my quest to recreate my childhood library and re-experience the same imagery firsthand, as opposed to a vague, faraway recollection, is an attempt at filling in some blanks and understanding myself. My childhood library is not my only quest for reconstruction. I have tried to re-experience movies and television shows I saw as a child and young adult, perfumes I loved, magazines I read, even toys I once cherished. I would like to think I am alone in this somewhat bizarre affliction. One need only go to eBay and do a search for 1970s memorabilia, to you know, that thousands, even millions of people are trying to do this too. eBay even made a commercial about this quest. What are we looking for? Why do we seek physical proof of experiences and images that are so deeply and viscerally embedded in our brains? What are we really searching for? I read the other day that our five senses take in more than 11 million pieces of information in any given moment. 11 million. Scientists have determined this number by counting the receptor cells each sense organ has and the nerves that go from these cells to our brain. Our eyes alone receive and send over 10 million signals to our brains each second. Scientists have also tried to determine how many of these signals can be processed consciously at any given point in time by looking at such things as how quickly people can read and detect different flashes of light and tell apart different types of smell. The most liberal estimate is that people can consciously process about 40 pieces of information per second. So, we can take in 11 million pieces of information per second and we can only process 40 of them consciously. What happens to the other 10,999,960? According to Timothy Wilson in his very intriguing book, Strangers to Ourselves, Discovering the Adaptive Unconscious, it seems terribly wasteful to design a system with such incredible sensory acuity with very little capacity to use the incoming information. Well, my hope is that our desires to recreate reality whether it be to paint, to write, to design, to collect, to remember, these are just some of the many ways we try to understand each other and our place in the world. What we can't physically understand or remember, even childhood book titles, become expressed in our actions or our artwork or our intention. And all of these expressions contain the other 10,999,000 pieces of imagery and information hidden in our minds. I have come to the conclusion that I may never remember the name of my precious childhood poem. However, I now hold forth a different perspective and one that I find oddly endearing. While I might not remember the name of the book, the book remembers me. The book is a marker that allows me to remember a person that once was. I think this is true for all of us on a quest to find something we have lost. Maybe the physical evidence isn't that important. While we might have lost something tangible... It can always live on in our imagination, and if we continue to watch the world around us and take in everything that we possibly can, our imagination can never go away and never fail. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and joining me on the show today is designer, writer, and teacher, Paul Sayre. Before we start our interview, please let me tell you a little bit more about him. He's even more than just those three things. He's a graphic designer, an illustrator, an educator, an author, and an editor. Paul Sayre established his own design company in New York in 1997. Consciously maintaining a small office, he has nevertheless established a large presence in graphic design. The balance he strikes, whether between commercial and personal projects or in his own design process, is evident in such things as the physical layout of his office, part design studio, part silk screen lab, where he prints and designs posters for various theaters, some of which are in the permanent collection of the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum. While on the other side of the office, he is busy designing book covers for such authors such as Rick Moody, Chuck Klosterman, and Ben Marcus. Sarah is also a frequent contributor to the New York Times op-ed page. He is the co-author of Hello World, a life in ham radio, a book based on a collection of QSL cards, which amateur radio enthusiasts exchange after communication with other operators around the world, and has done many, many more extraordinary projects that I hope to be able to talk about today. Welcome, Paul.
2: Thanks, Debbie. Nice to be here.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Well, in looking at your work over the last years, it seems that you have worked in a number of different styles. Some of your earlier work for the Fells Point Corner Theater in Baltimore is very lush with a lot of abstract typography and imagery. And some of your later work, book covers for Rick Moody and work for Soho Rep, is much more minimal. Can you tell us a little bit about this evolution?
3: Um, Well,
2: I think I am um, kind of oriented to finding new places to go with what I'm doing. I guess the best way to to, um, uh, explain that. And I, it probably comes from uh, uh, some, the work that I was doing in grad school. I didn't really feel like it had a style at all, really. And I, it, when I was in when I was in school, it was well, I was the late late 80s, so there was a lot of I guess we were coming out of that emigre thing and um, Duffy design. I remember being really big, and April Craman was, was still kind of on everyone's radar in a way. And there were a lot of people doing work that came um, stylistically from a very specific place, I think. So I I was really interested in in trying to think about my work in terms of it being um, in service of something. As an applied designer, as a graphic designer, you're usually dealing with some concern that's external from yourself. So I always felt like I was experimenting with kind of being uh, invisible in the process somehow. I I don't think that's actually possible, thinking back. Um, and I was always surprised when people could identify my work because, uh, uh, you know, it might do something very different for a poster, a theater, from one theater poster for another, for example, if, if, you know, because each play is different and unique. Uh, so anyway, I, I, was, I was also in, in probably a, at the, at the, at the, uh, when I got out of school, I was probably in, in a more of a, a place of, of trying to maybe push that as far as I could. And then once you've been there, um, I always feel like I want to try to go somewhere else. So uh, if it was a natural transition to kind of leave maybe a, a more um, busy place and a, a more um, obsessive place with the work. That's kind of how I would explain, uh, describe it as well, that early stuff. And and then kind of, it be- I think it's become more conceptual maybe, although that's a, that's a term that applies to a lot of different things, but... Um, does that answers the question. I don't know. Yeah,
1: it does. Of course, it does. Um, I am curious, though, as to why you were seeking to be invisible.
2: Well, I, I, I definitely feel like there is a, in terms of the designer's role, that if you're not um, uh, initiating the, the content, then your role is to to find a form for that content. And uh, and as I said before, I, I uh, and I did. I remember. Um, explicitly experimenting with trying to be as, as invisible as I possibly could, uh, and let whatever the content was dictating take me somewhere new.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, one of the things, uh, about using that approach is that after a while, uh, maybe you get into this kind of chameleon mode where, and I think it's kind of self-defeating in a different way.
1: But is that a like
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, but as I said, I think that it's it's even when you're trying to be as pure, even if you're experimenting with that, and you're trying to be as pure with that as you possibly can, it's impossible to separate yourself from totally from the process. It's filtering through you, right? So, What's the
1: collaborative process between you and your muse, I would imagine. Yeah, and and the task at hand.
2: Well, I think, but that you know, it's actually kind of interesting. And it, I think it gets into the the heart of why I feel. Doing applied design is is an interesting thing to do. Uh, it, it it doesn't really make any sense when it comes down to it. Um, it it uh, it's not about you. But the, the only work I think that the the work that graphic design that, that is interesting and is effective I think always has, comes from some point of view. There's a there's the designer has to be altruistic, but he also has to be really selfish at the same time for it to work. Mm-hmm doesn't make any sense really if, you, <laughs> if it was a philosophical argument it, it wouldn't hold any water but it i but i think that's what's wonderful about it it's
1: yeah great. i do too. I think that's one of the, that sort of wonderful tension is what makes work really good when there is that tension there i think um, i want to talk about this more when we come back from our break unfortunately we have to take a break i'd like to let everybody know that you're listening to design matters with debbie millman on voice america business I am Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, author, educator, and editor, Paul Sayre. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go
3: away.
4: Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
5: Hi, this is Scott Biondich, Global Packaging Manager at the Coca-Cola Company, and I'm really excited about the upcoming Fuse brand identity and package design event in New York City this April. I'll be there revealing the critical steps to developing differentiated and preferred packaging for consumers around the world. Design gurus Rem Koolhaas and Philippe Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, will go in-depth into the most pressing issues we face. They'll deliver cutting-edge ideas that demonstrate brand growth and bottom-line impact through innovative strategy and design. For more information, call 888-670-8200, visit www.iirusa.com, forward slash BIPD, or send an email to register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters, and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Hey, rise to the challenge. I look forward to seeing you in the Big Apple this April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel.
0: Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big-picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with a product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the bottom bottom line for business talk voice america business achieve total wealth management Listen to 3-Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. 3-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to 3-Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com.
4: The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
0: Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll free at 1 866 233 7861. Once again, that's 1 866 233 7861. And now back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is
1: 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, author, educator, and editor, Paul Sayer. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Paul, our lines are open. Please call 480-643-5430. Before the break, Paul, we were talking about invisibility in work and how much of ourselves are involved in the expression of our work. And I read a very interesting quote that you said, and I'd I'd like to talk about it. You've said that even the best designers face difficult choices, work they love for clients they love, and work they need to make ends meet that somehow originates from clients whom they may feel conflicted. How do you manage that conflict?
2: Uh, By keeping a a really low profile with, my physical studio and overhead and things like that. That's how I've done it Mm -hmm. um, up to this point. Uh, You know, some of the work that we were talking about at the beginning was work that that when I was doing theater posters, that um, some people, you know, many people are familiar with this stuff was doing in the the, uh, early 90s. That was all free pro bono work. Uh, I was printing these posters myself. I know. So, and I had a job at the same time, but, um, um, you were self-funding
1: the entire yeah,
3: initiative.
2: Yeah, and working until three o'clock in the morning or more, you know, um, doing it. And so slowly over time, I'm kind of functioning the same way, but I'm 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 able to I've been able to make ends meet better as as time has gone on, and and it's a slow climb um, in in trying to to juggle between work that pays and work that pays in other ways. You know, work. Mm-hmm. Is, isn't it's not monetary. It's the work that you do. Be, the reason you got into this, at least I did, was not to make money. Was, it was just something I had to do. It's something I wanted to do. It's the way I express myself.
3: Mm-hmm. It's,
2: you know. It, it, so anyway, the, to answer your question, the, the I you know have have I take less. I I have taken less
3: mm-hmm. in
2: terms of. In terms of you know where I've lived and, and the state of my studio, it's a you know I have a small studio on Sixth Avenue and Fourteenth Street, and I
1: above a Dunkin' Donuts.
2: Above, above a Dunkin' Donuts. Do you
1: drink a lot of coffee. I
2: uh, you know uh, yes. What's your favorite flavor? Well, I just have a black decaf. I go in there and they just give give it to me. I'm they just hand it to you on your but way up. It's our coffee machine, um, but you know it, it smells like donuts there. It's I fondly ref, uh, refer to it as a dump. It's it's a dump. <laughs> but it's my dump. I love
1: it. I love it. And <laughs> I and can I love see, by the man. way, you're looking when you uh, say that.
2: And but uh, and and so it's a place where I can do my thing, sort of. And um, it's kind of all I need now. It's more than I had five years ago, and certainly more than I had ten years ago. Uh, printing in my basement, basement, for for instance.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the, the lengths I used to go to to silkscreen in my basement in Baltimore. Were just ridiculous. I mean, the, 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 uh, I, you, I couldn't stand up straight in my basement. I'm six wow. one, and it was about six foot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: All the stuff was homemade. I had I had a spray sink down there that was ha- was homemade and had a little tube that came out of the bottom and a big bucket. And I couldn't afford plumbing to get it, it to drain. So when the bucket filled up, I had to switch quickly switch a bucket and dump the one out and come back. It was bucket brigade, ridiculous.
0: Wow. You know,
2: but you know, so I don't have to do that anymore. So it's, you know, I, this just the way I do it. I think, you know, it, it all depends on someone's personal preference and what you're willing to put up with and what you need.
1: Now, I've read also that you think that graphic designers can be weak. What did you mean by that?
3: Oh, gra- uh, From the
1: I- Walker Art Center oh, presentation. Oh, uh, well, you know
2: what I was referring to? I was re- I guess I see where you're going with the, the connection there. Um... <laughs> um well, <laughs> I, th- I think that the original context wasn't about either tap- taking a big paying job that makes you miserable. So I guess that's the connection there.
1: In terms I'm just of, wondering if if there is a connection there. Uh,
2: there, I think I, I look. I have I have said no in certain situations, and there's been a line of designers who are happy to do whatever the hell stupid thing that, that somebody wanted them to do. Um, and you know whatever that's fine. It's just a personal choice. Um, when I was talking about week was really in terms of it was in terms of another issue. Um, in terms of designers kind of not spending enough time trying to get to a new place with their work.
1: And how do you force yourself to keep doing that?
2: Well, that, of course that these, are, these things are all tied together because the more time you're spending trying to figure something out, doing, doing something you haven't done before. It takes a long time. There's mm-hmm. a lot of failure involved. The client's there. The clock's ticking. You know, you've got rent to pay and, and employees to, to uh, compensate and, and those types of things, and a dog to feed, <laughs> in my case. Um, so um, I guess, yeah, I mean, they're linked.
1: Now, you, you said something about um, doing stupid jobs. What would you consider to be a stupid job?
2: Did I say stupid job?
1: Stupid things.
2: Well, well, one one thing I'm I'm thinking about here. I I had I was Steely Dan called me a few years ago to design their new CD. I was like wow, cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience for a while. I got to hang out in the recording studio and they were playing these songs and I was showing them work and everything was going really well. And um, one day I came in to show them the rest of the CD package and they just talked amongst themselves like it wasn't there and said, change that, move that over there, add this photo of whatever. And, you know, a very weird meeting. And I basically said, you know, what, I don't work like like this guy's, and I quit. <laughs> On the spot, they started swearing at me.
1: Oh, they, they did make them want you more?
2: <laughs> no, it didn't. They started swearing at me. It was bizarre. It wow. was totally surreal. And I remember leaving the office, and I'm like, what the hell just happened in there? But and I I really actually kind of blew it in terms of working with essentially my client, which was Warner Brothers. They had L.A. had contacted me to to work with Steely Dan here in New York, and of course, implied in that is that you get this job done. You know, you're dealing with famous people, you know, um, um, legends, you know, Mm -hmm. music legends. Um, You shouldn't be bringing an attitude in there. But you know what? They just went on for too long, and Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take it. What I should have done is just said, "Okay, I'll." We'll we'll take this back, and then I I should have called their manager and had a discussion with them instead of getting mad. But anyway, long story short, they had had someone else to do exactly what they wanted to do to this thing. And if you see the the album, Two Against Nature, that's the CD that I was Mm -hmm. working on. Um, It's exactly what they told me to do, and I think it's awful and whatever. But, you know, I mean, the world's not going to stop turning because Steely Dan has an ugly CD. Um, so there you go well I'm glad they do (laughs) but I don't you know in the end I think it just comes down to what you you know I just didn't want to do it I didn't want to screw this nice thing up that I was making so I guess they can I I guess what I'm just saying is that there's plenty of people who are in line there to to screw up that thing and and get paid to do it
1: so you don't want to compromise
2: well I'd love to never
1: compromise I don't
2: I compromise all the time but this was weird this Mm -hmm. was just too much it was just kind of I don't know whatever
1: I I watched this wonderful video that I was just referencing that you made at the Walker Arts Center last year. And in the video, you mentioned that you think your work is rather funny. And then you also mentioned that your wife, Emily Oberman, doesn't. And I think Emily is one of the funniest and smartest people that I know, so I would tend to think that her opinion may be more accurate. No offense. Um, So why do you think that your work is funny and she doesn't? (laughs) Well, no, I I've
2: totally changed my mind. I have a lot of respect for Emily's opinion. <laughs> and, uh, no, I, I I brought that up because uh, I do a lot of thinking about what I do and why, more than probably is healthy sometimes. And I, you know, I I always thought I was I like I was fun, like my work was funny, and Emily's like your work is not funny, and it kind of threw me for a loop. And uh, and it was right at the time I was giving this talk, so it was I kind of incorporated it into it. Um, but, well, it
1: got you know, a good got a good
2: laugh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So at least I got some humor out of it that way. But um, no, she's right. I think probably. I mean, it's, this stuff's funny to me. I think this is the way I also kind of looked at it. If it's, it's there's different types of funny, maybe. And you know, like funny for me, um, I think the, the the way I'm thinking about funny probably is is not the way Emily's thinking.
1: Well, we have a caller on the line, so let's see what he thinks. Gregory from New York, thank you for calling Design Matters.
3: Hi, Debbie. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, I was listening to Debbie's opening, and um, of course, I'm one of those people who completely lives in that world of recreating my childhood and um, everything is inspired by the past. I'm just wondering, Paul, um, do you ever delve into your sentimental past or childhood or things that meant a lot to you in the past uh, when you approach your work, or, or are you just do you approach it in the present, the here and now, in the future?
2: Uh, well, I, I think maybe uh, Debbie is going to get to some of that, but I have been doing a lot of that lately. Most of it is – I guess I shouldn't say that. I was going to say that most of it has to do with work that I do that doesn't involve a client, it's self-initiated. But, um, yeah, uh, I I have um, – I, I tend to – you know, when you're, when especially when you're in a position where you're authoring something and you know you're, you're creating something, I think it's natural to think about you know where you've been. Uh, I think any you know creative writing class that's where they start, right? You know, write about right. what you know. Um, um, and uh, I definitely see um, many instances where. Things that have um, influenced me in the past. I mean, Jesus, why are we all gra- why are we graphic designers? or what- Why have we decided whatever we're gonna- we're doing in life? Um, you know, I I was I became a graphic designer because of my father and my brother and my mother. You know, uh, for different reasons. But um, and and I-, I I I sometimes feel like I eventually will get past kind of doing things that. Um, um, are references to specific references to things in my past, and that you know, when you're an author, you this evolves into something larger, you know, larger context. But I think I'm I'm probably still at a point where I feel like I'm a newbie to authoring things instead of thinking about you know the work that I do as strictly applied design.
3: Do you think that with the boom of eBay um, and all those baby boomers who um, are trying to recreate their past, do you think? that the more um, that happens, the, the more influence that uh, Baby Boomers Pass will have in design, or do you, do you see that uh, as not happening? Well, I don't, I don't... Yeah, it's funny. Well, actually, I'm trying to get...
2: Right, I'm on eBay right now trying to find a, a, a hockey jersey from this team, the Broom Dusters,
6: that, I, uh, that was
2: the hometown minor league hockey team in Binghamton, New York, where I grew up. And I desperately want this thing, it totally ties into what Debbie's talking about with this book. Um, and um, for some reason, I'm having a hard time finding one. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if those things, are, those things are linked. It's interesting. I just finished a pro- project with Marvel Com- Comics where I was um, collaborating with, with the author, Walter Mosley. And it's a, it's a book that is a, is kind of an homage to the first issue of the Fantastic Four. Right. And Walter, in his introduction, is basically talking about this instinct to, and this is the reason he wanted to work on this project. This is the reason I wanted to work on the project. And he talks about in his intro- introduction about kind of methodically hitting eBay and buying every single copy of FF that, you know, he didn't have in his collection. So I guess this stuff is all linked
3: together. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I, I leave you with a quote. It's my favorite quote. It's on the cornerstone of the National Archives in Washington. It says, the heritage of the past is the seed that brings forth the harvest of the future. So I am very much uh, I very much believe in, in reaching into the past to find inspiration for the future. So thanks for, for letting me ask the question.
1: Thank you, Gregory. Unfortunately, we have to take another break. I'd like to let everyone know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Melman, and my guest today is designer, author, educator, and editor, Paul Sayer. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
4: Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio, Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
1: Hello, I'm Sharon Ryder lindberg from Unilever North America. I'll be speaking at Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design Event in April at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. I'll be discussing the development and the rollout of the new Hellman's Global Brand Identity. Fuse is the destination for brand design leaders.
3: Will you be there? Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD or call 888-670-8200
1: to find out more about this great event. Consider this an investment in your brand's future. Clear your calendar and prepare to walk away with inspiration, insight, and creative new ideas to implement when you return to the office. Stay at the top of your
3: game. Visit www.iirusa.com backslash VIP today. Mention Design menu and you'll receive a $200 discount off
1: the standard fee. Look forward to seeing you in New York in April. In-
0: Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson talks about the nuts and bolts of starting, running, and expanding the business. From time management, leadership, sales, marketing, and customer service, to office management using technology, business plans, accounting, taxes, and networking. Danielle and her expert guests share their years of experience on a variety of topics. Tune in every Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel for Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson. Useful tips, authoritative advice, creative solutions. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business
6: you work hard and you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate yourself travel is one of the most effective and gratifying ways to achieve this tune in to travel connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m pacific time your host Judy Jackson will teach you how you can enhance your lifestyle through travel travel connections will also bring you the latest news on what's hot and exciting in vacation and travel trends so tune in to travel connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m pacific time right here on voice america business voice america business keeping you a step
4: ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business
0: we're back with design matters with debbie millman if you have a question for debbie feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861 once again here's the host of design matters debbie millman
1: Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is designer, author, educator, and editor Paul Sayer. Our phone lines are open if you'd like to call us, 480 And Paul, you're the first person I've ever had on the show that I could introduce as designer, author, educator, and editor. Tell us a little bit about what that is like having these four very separate yet connected practices.
2: Well I, I could make that list a lot longer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do it tell us.
2: Uh, well, you know what writer would not be on the list though you mentioned me as a writer at the beginning and I am not a writer. I'm trying uh, my hand at some writing but not uh, but I, I just I can't, it's really difficult for me. But um, you know and, and, and some of these hats are kind of worn really temporarily and then taken off again. And I really kind of view all this stuff as graphic design on some level i mean i I come from that's my point of view, like the work that I do as a mm-hmm. designer in, informs any of that stuff but i'm I'm authoring books, although I'm not writing books um, you can,
1: you can, how do you how do you define the difference
2: well uh, coming you know developing the an idea and mm-hmm. making it happen uh, and having an influence on you know hiring a writer mm hmm I consider that authorship with the yeah. ham radio book, Hello World. Yeah, that was what I, I was going
1: to ask I, you about.
2: That was I'm, I've got a couple other books that I'm we're, we're I'm passing around to publishers right now, um, but Hello World was the first one that I did, and um, I co-authored that with um, my friend Danny Gregory, who is a writer. So a graphic designer and a writer got together and and decided to do a book about this arcane an arcane um, thing that we stumbled upon, um, and you know we 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 basically. Um, came up with the idea to do the book together, fashioned the point of view, and the the editorial direction. Danny went off writing and researching, and I went off designing, and we met in the middle. So, you know, we did a lot of press for that show, and it was really interesting having people, oh, he's a designer.
3: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: You know, I came up with the name of the book. (laughs) I told Danny to write this. Well, you know, and then Danny told me to, to you know, do this with the cover. So, you know, it was a very collaborative process. And I think that's the thing about authorship is that it's, you know, it's, it's easy to think, especially with a book, in terms of an author being a writer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyway, getting back to your original question I, about wearing all the different hats, I, I think that probably there's a connection with uh, um, the trajectory of my work as well there somewhere where um, I love to draw, I, I love to up with ideas. Um, um, I want to see things made. I'd like to make things. And, and, um, and maybe maybe it all comes back around to making things. Maybe that's the common thread between all of it.
1: And you have uh, a book on leisureama that you're also thinking about yeah. uh, writing. And leisureama is with the houses that were built in the 1960s yeah, out a, in Montauk.
3: Yeah,
2: it uh, was with with a kit a house was designed by Raymond Lowy and Associates. and was Well, I think you did a show on it. Yeah,
1: that I thing. was... um did a documentary. Yes, And yes. Uh, he asked me about sort of the idea of branding these homes leisure online. Right, right. I mean, there was a logo. Yes. I mean, it
2: had a logo. It's it's beautiful like, logo. I love so, that logo. I, actually, um, Nicholas, my friend Nicholas Bleckman, who I think you also had on the show uh, last year, we were looking for a summer house we were going to share a few years ago, and we were out in Montauk looking at these houses, and... And we get we were taken to this one house and we're like oh, this this is actually kind of cool like and she said it's called the Leisureama and we looked at each other and we said we'll take it yeah you know like you know a, a house that has a logo is kind of perfect for a graphic designer I guess um,
1: was like, it the original house or had they built it It's up? pretty original
2: yeah it was ma- it was built in the early 60s and it was basically marketed and sold through Macy's and you could was a you know you could basically buy the house and it came with everything furniture bedding toothbrushes everything right. two bushes.
1: Yeah, I know. think it was seven thousand dollars. Okay, that yeah, yeah. that so, amazing. And
2: it was aimed at you know uh, the average American. Mm-hmm.
1: The Levittown group.
2: Yeah. So the book is called Leisureama Now. I believe Princeton Architectural Press is is, is going to publish it. We're we're pretty much in agreement about doing it right now. But I owe them an outline for uh, a history, which I haven't gotten to. <laughs> um, but we've basically photographed all of the remaining leisureamas, um, kind of like mug shots from the same perspective mm-hmm. that exists out there. Um, Michael Northrup and Jason Fulford both co- kind of um, were involved in that, the photographers. And um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be happening this year.
1: Now, I understand, and we're going completely off topic here, um, that thinking about UFOs calms you down. Um, how and why?
2: Oh, you're, that was a title a, a title for a lecture that I did a few years ago, it was actually specific thinking about outer space makes me feel better. Why is that? <laughs> um, you know, I, that it's, it, and it's true. Uh, it happens, I think it has to be a nice title for a lecture, too. But it was right when we were invading Iraq, and there's just been a lot of lousy things that have been going on in the last five or six years that I don't have to remind everyone about. In fact, it was a piece of the paper yesterday about force-feeding these detainees at Guantanamo that is just appalling. And, you know, what do you do with that? You know, I don't know, you know, uh, you respond to it with your means that you have mm-hmm. at your disposal. And um, what, what I kind of meant with the, with the title was, like, you know, there's a larger picture here. Um, and thinking about, you know, one of the ways I can actually get myself on a plane is to, to, to remind myself that we're actually already traveling at really fast. <laughs> the Earth is. and And so getting on a plane... Isn't like you're going from some stationary thing to something that's moving, and it helps me get on planes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, there's a bigger picture here. There's a there's that Monty Python song at the end of Meaning of Life, I think, where they're talking about the same exact thing. In fact, I used a quote from I quoted the lyrics of the song to end that lecture. And you know, if you're feeling bad and low about all the crazy crap that's going on here at Earth, just um, well, how's it end?
1: <laughs> we have to get somebody to call. Well, in. Hopefully, it there's
2: some intelligent life somewhere out in space because there's bugger all down here on Earth. Yeah, that's how. It yeah,
1: is. I mean, how do you think we've gotten ourselves in this situation? It seems inconceivable that mankind could be so thoroughly violent and, and angry and cruel to each other in the way that we are, and it just seems utterly inconceivable that this is part of our DNA, and yet it seems so much a part of our DNA.
2: I have absolutely no idea. I'm a graphic designer. Oh,
1: that's no. bullshit. <laughs> I think you have a lot of ideas. Um, all right, well, do you believe in UFOs?
2: Yes, I do. And do you believe
1: there's life on other planets? Yes, I do. Are you a big sci-fi nut?
2: I am, I am. Wait,
1: yeah, X-Files, Battlestar? No, no,
2: Battlestar Galactica, I'm watching that now. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I've, um, I've been watching that. It's been kind of hot and cold, though. They almost lost me a couple times.
3: Yeah,
1: um, it's been very inconsistent but I then think
3: it's bounced back and it, been it, really good.
1: It, yeah, it's, but the last couple episodes I've been sort of a little bit disappointed with now that so many of the Cylons are gone and yeah. they can't be reborn. In any case, um I understand that your office defeated the defending champion Carlson Wilker to win the two thousand and five World Graphic Design Foosball Championship and obviously there's a the reason to live. Um you lost in the finals to them last year um with a sweet revenge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and is it true I need some I need some confirmation here um is it true that Felix sockwell um thought to be one of the front runners was knocked out by the all-female team of kirsha and bond
2: funny enough they were really bothered by that it was it was really funny I mean, I mean he Felix <laughs> totally, um mean, he and i I have a he just uh, Felix has just started a, a studio with his friend Thomas Fuchs and i I suspected that the reason they started this this uh, company was to to be able to go as Fuchswell and be a you know for their foosball team mm. because they were different studios last year. Right. So they both bought tables in the meantime, and they were both practicing a lot. Ah, and, oh, and, you know,
1: so it was uh, somewhat underhanded. Were, <laughs> yeah, so they
2: were expecting to do better, but it was really funny that they just Steelers just kept going on about losing to girls, which I thought, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it, yes, uh, we we have fun over at the over at the studio, and we do have the one-legged, world graph design foosball, championship trophy there, which brightens up the place. And anybody who would like to see it and touch it, please
1: stop by. Well, we'll see how long you can retain that trophy. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about your book Maximum Fantastic Four. Uh, it was referred to um, on the. Uh, Marvel website as, um, no, I'm sorry, the Tales of Wonder website as the stunning, immaculately packaged coffee table masterpiece must-have. It was also chosen by New York Magazine as book cover of the year. Um, tell us about what that experience was like designing this book.
4: Well,
2: it was a dream. It was not literally a dream come true to work with Marvel. I mean, I have been a Marvel person and a comic book fan since I was five years old, and um, I I got this project because chip Kidd was busy nice. <laughs> they called chip first and i actually think he wasn't busy he just he's a dc guy and i, I don't know if he could actually do the marvel thing um and 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 well actually just even do it uh, it's it's funny for those who don't um understand the distinction there's it's it's like there's different dna anyway i have spider-man and the fantastic fours marvel and thor and the incredible hulk and X Men.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: that was my world. Anyway, I remember calling my wife Emily uh, when I was going to the first meeting. Not only to meet to go to Marvel, but to meet Walter Mosley, which was a big thrill. Um, and I, I, I called her and said, I am five years old right now,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: if I don't grow up. In this cab ride right to the, it, this could be a bad meeting.
1: Could
3: really <laughs> overexuberant. <laughs> <laughs> What's with him? Um,
1: there's an article on the Marvel Masterworks website which shows that your that the fans of the Fantastic Four had a very polarizing view of the book. What was like? What was that like for you to read the, the you know the diehards that felt that this book was being designed in a certain way, and other people that were staunch supporters of what you were doing. What was so What was so controversial?
2: Well, I I. I'm always complaining that, that that sometimes you're doing work as a graphic designer goes out into the world and then you, you just don't hear anything or there's no reaction and sometimes there is but uh, quite often you can do something you're really proud of and it goes out in the world and you never hear anything you don't mm-hmm. hear whether it was successful or not successful and 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 so this was the opposite uh, because it's plugged into something that people are passionate about and I, I someone sent me a link and boy oh my oh my god these comic guys were just destroying the pulling it apart limb from limb limb uh and and you know it, it was I, I i actually enjoyed it maybe it's the, the masochist in me but i i would rather someone be have a violent reaction against something like i did rather than just have not an opinion about it at all so no you know some of the things they're complaining about i think are legitimate some of them i i, I definitely take issue with but um I, for instance the book cover it's the book is a re-examination of the first issue of the Fantastic Four. Walter came to Marvel with this idea of blowing up the first comic book to change mm-hmm. the experience. And so, you know, I'm paying off on that idea and working with Walter and, and we, we did it a certain way and there's some, some, it's called Maximum FF. Um, and, uh, we did it a certain way and the, one of the ideas for the cover was to try to maximize the cover. So the idea was to, to create a poster out of the, the the cover for the first issue and it folds down and wraps around the jacket so you know FF fans can just see a little piece of it with a number one and know what the thing is immediately and so and everybody gets a poster to get to hang up right everybody's happy
1: Mm, you can never make everybody happy one of the
2: complaints I love it's like
1: oh Paul you know what we're going to take a break when we come back we will talk all about this big controversy fantastic four we'll be right back after these messages please don't go away
4: Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
5: Hi, this is Scott Biondich, Global Packaging Manager at the Coca-Cola Company. And I'm really excited about the upcoming Fuse brand identity and package design event in New York City this April. I'll be there revealing the critical steps to developing differentiated and preferred packaging for consumers around the world. Design gurus Rem Koolhaas and Philippe Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, will go in depth into the most pressing issues we face. They'll deliver cutting edge ideas that demonstrate brand growth and bottom line impact through innovative strategy and design. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com forward slash BIPD or send an email to register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Hey, rise to the challenge. I look forward to seeing you in the Big Apple this April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel.
0: The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of the global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Right here on the Bottom Line Business Talk, Moist America Business. Learn to thrive, not just survive, in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with tactical coaches and success masters. Hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory, Dory, Eva, and their Masters of Thriving expert guests inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading edge information. The Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive. Factor, success, and inspiration at the click of a mouse.
4: The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
0: Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome back. It is 3.52 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, author, educator, and editor Paul Sayre, if you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question, our telephone lines are open. Before the break, Paul, we were talking about the cover for your book for uh, Fantastic Four, Maximum Fantastic Four. Um, you were telling us about the uproar over the way in which it was folded. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Oh, yeah, we left everybody in suspense there. Yes, yes. Uh, no, yeah, so there was one there was a couple of complaints about the cover. you know, it's like, yeah, we really love the fact that there's a poster. And I'd love to have a copy of it that wasn't folded, <laughs> which is just like, okay, but these guys, you know the thing is is that that you know this, this collecting mentality is pretty bizarre. I mean, it's not about experience of the thing sometimes, I think, you know, and the one thing that collectors comic collectors don't get. And one thing, we reproduce Walter's issue. He owns the first issue of the comic, uh, Fantastic Four. But you know what? It's totally beat to hell. And I love comic books that are beat to hell because that means people are enjoying them. People are reading them. They're looking at them. They're not sitting in a plastic bag somewhere.
1: The effects of love on a comic book.
2: I mean, if you, if, if, if you, if you take two million of a, of a, of a comic book and and everybody puts them in a plastic bag in 20 years, they're still going to be worth 250 because there's still going to be two million of them in perfect condition. It's like, did you get it?
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> you <know>? So anyway. <laughs> this
1: is the unique one.
2: It was, uh, but some people like it too, so that's good. And Walter was happy with it and so was Marvel, so that's,
1: yep. that's good. And it, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you do so many different things. How do you find the time for teaching? I also understand that you um, have a, a sort of unconventional approach for working with your students on their thesis projects. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, it's, teaching is definitely a thing that you, I don't really even feel like I find time to do. It's just really necessary for me. Uh, it keeps me, I don't know, it, it keeps me alert in other things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of am somewhat selfish about it, too. I think this is, is similar, like equal parts of altruism and, and selfishness um, because I give, but I also get. Um, and i the way I... Uh, structure the classes i i want to be able to be learning too so mm-hmm. a lot of it kind of uh and i think they get more out of it if i'm alert and not doing the same thing for the last 10 years or whatever the heck you know so um but we you know i i do some i guess you consider some of these things stunts or that they're unconventional we did a we do a performance we've done a, a performance where I've, i kind of um have them think about their work in a, in a in a different way that way where they're actually instead of designing a poster you're the you're actually on stage um, kind of communicating and, and dealing with typography or whatever that a, a way of a graphic designer would ha- would handle having to perform in mm-hmm. front of a group of people um, I, I will give them design challenges that are on on the face of it really simple and and you might even think easy like design a poster which elicits a, a, a response of oh like It's got to be cute. Mm -hmm. Would you be surprised how many design students, young people, don't want to go there?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Like, cute is bad. It's like, no, cute isn't bad. Cute is cute. Mm -hmm. Bad is bad.
1: Who evaluates whether or not something like that is cute or something is or isn't cute?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that because I actually told them that I was going to have a guest critic come in and um, they were expecting, you know, Sagmeister or something and my mom shows up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My
2: mom's not a designer. She's an occupational therapist from Binghamton, New York. She drove down in her, a nice outfit mm-hmm. and she created these cute posters. And it was unbelievable. It was like the best experience in a classroom I ever had. It was just something really wonderful about bringing somebody in from the outside who, you know, I mean, design school can kind of be like a festering greenhouse, you know, sort of, you know, where you need to let some air in. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that yeah you know but that's fun I mean that's that was amazing
1: and did she think that anything was cute?
2: she did she yeah. did and she really i think her her cute barometer I mean well, you know moms are experts on cute, so I brought mm-hmm. an expert mm-hmm. in so and then I asked them all to go away and revise their posters to get it so that my mom would have that response oh. you really yeah, it's a really hard thing to do. It's, oh, I, you absolutely know, it' don't, it only gets it' don't, it only gets the harder from there though.
1: Well, I think anything that's specifically created to elicit one very specific response is often difficult. Because you really have to be able to get at what is absolutely pure about that about that emotion. Um one of the favorite quotes that I read attributed to you was this um when you stop learning, you die. Um what are you currently learning?
2: Well I guess that does tie into well that's such an overbearing statement.
1: Oh that I was... think it's actually rather rather <laughs> wonderful.
2: Um well, you know, I want to keep surprising myself, and I want to keep finding new places to go with this stuff. And um, although a lot of these things that I do, uh, it, it maybe you start losing focus a little bit if you're into too many things, but um, and it kind of drives me crazy most of the time. But it also keeps things new, um, and I guess that's what I mean about that. I think you have to keep putting yourself in a position where you don't know. Um, because otherwise it's just going to get rote and uninteresting, at least for me.
1: Thank you, Paul. Um, now is the time in our show for the pop culture quiz, and this is the part of the broadcast where I ask my guests questions about things that might be going on right now or just things I'm just nosy about. Um, so, Paul, what was the last book you read?
2: Um, well, this was for work, Parallel Universes. mm Okay. I've forgotten the author's name. That's terrible.
1: And you read that because you were designing the book cover. Yes. Okay. Um, what do you secretly wish you could do better?
2: Play the piano. No, it's not secret. It's not a secret. Not
1: secret. So, is there any secret desire to do something oh, better?
2: Oh shit! I just should stick <laughs> with that one. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll stick with the piano.
1: Okay. Um, what's your favorite curse word? fuck, I guess. Yeah? Yeah. What what makes you smile?
2: Uh, Seeing uh, people be passionate about things, definitely.
1: And bath or shower? Oh, shower. Oh, no, wait, bath
2: sometimes. Yeah? Yeah. But shower most of the time.
1: When bath?
2: Um, Just when I need to slow down a little bit.
1: Okay, well, Paul, we've come to the end of our show today. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me. Um, You've been absolutely wonderful. I'd like to thank the people at Voice America for all of their assistance, especially Ruben and Brian. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling, including Lisa Grant and Jen Simon. Please join me next week with my guest, Hillman Curtis. Until then, please remember, we can talk about making a difference or we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week.
0: Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.